Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. As many leaders and teams are studying the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, what I'm doing here is I am taking uh, each chapter uh, in that book and expounding beyond it. Uh, for those of you who are reading and studying it, uh, I'm going to briefly review the content uh, of each chapter before I do that. But I want to encourage you, uh, as there are many layers to each of these themes, today's is Face Your Shadow, uh, I want to encourage you to, to download the basic discussion guide. It's free uh, off our website, emotionallyhealthy.org slash ehleaderguide. Again, it's emotionallyhealthy.org slash ehleaderguide. And uh, it's a great discussion guide to just take you through chapter by chapter with some basic questions to get you into the content and begin to make some applications to your life. But I want to take you a bit further with it today and uh, around this theme of face your shadow. Now, in standard practice in most Christian environments, the way we approach the shadow is, or the way we approach even ourselves, we don't spend a lot of time reflecting on how our interior world is impacting our leadership. And uh, we don't take very often the time to explore uh, kind of those parts of ourselves that we'll just consider unacceptable, a bit more ugly, uh, and even to process our anger, our fears, our sadnesses with ourselves, with God. And, and for most of us are in Christian cultures that we don't talk a lot about our failures and weaknesses or mistakes. And so we end up blaming and scapegoating others and get, we get triggered. We're not sure quite what to do with it, kind of shove it down. And it's just so normal to spend a lot of time on impression management. Uh, not even, again, not aware of it, that we're investing time and energy in that, but again, concerned what people think, especially since we're in public leadership and uh, are often unaware of how people experience us, uh, especially in difficult moments, whether it were defensive or a bit closed or anxious. And so this tendency to be guarded and protective and kind of projecting our positive uh, areas is pretty much the norm. And uh, and, and so this leads, in some cases, to uh, some of us as leaders, we end up engaging in, in some self-destructive behaviors because we don't all the stuff repressed inside of us has nowhere to go, uh, the stress, the anxiety. And so we choose some kind of, whether it's addictive behavior, something just unhealthy to soothe ourselves and get a grip. And so the reason this is so important that we face our shadows is because we're creating culture uh, and we're bringing people into a discipleship. Uh, that is coming out of our own life. And the, the, any, any team you lead or church you're leading or ministry you're leading or organization you're leading is going to mimic your level of differentiation or maturity. There's a parallel track there. And uh, it, it's, it's a slow journey. Um, it's a life work. And I start the book on, on, on the pathways to become an emotionally healthy leader with face or shadow because it's like knowing I'm a sinner to receive God's salvation. It's a lifelong work. So let me just review uh, you know, the basic theses of the chapter for a few minutes, and then we'll go from there. Now, everyone's got a shadow, and I define shadow very simply as the accumulation of untamed motives, less than pure uh, motives or emotions, thoughts that while largely unconscious, they strongly influence and shape our behaviors. It's the damaged but mostly hidden version of who you are. 
Now, this shadow may erupt in various forms. Sometimes it erupts in sinful behavior, such as judgmentalism or perfectionism, outbursts of anger or jealousy or resentment or lust or greed, bitterness. Uh, it can easily reveal itself more subtly through a need to rescue people or be liked or to be noticed, or we just can't stop working, or workaholism, or we get rigid or isolate ourselves. And so it may look like this in leadership. And I give a few examples, you know, in the book, maybe you have gifts in speaking and mobilizing people, but the shadow side of those gifts is you have this incredible need to be affirmed by people. Or you value excellence. The shadow side is your pursuit of excellence leads to a perfectionism that uh, does not allow for mistakes. And you create, end up creating a culture that's a back, absolutely, it's actually tends to be oppressive. Or you're zealous for God's truth and, and right doctrine, but the shadow side is uh, you're not loving with those who disagree with you or see things differently. Or you want to see the church maximize its potential for Christ, uh, you know, the Great Commission, which is wonderful, but then the shadow takes over and you get driven and preoccupied with getting your objectives met and you end up, you know, not really seeing people or creating an unsustainable pace for those around you. And so this, this facing of our shadows is, is formidable because we can be very self-protective. Uh, and it's what we did probably growing up and now here we are as adults and we're still self-protective. So I talk about four pathways to face your shadow uh, and uh, to kind of get you started on this journey. Tame your feelings. Number one is tame your feelings by naming your feelings. So just even getting in touch with what's going on inside of you is like number one. And then using a genogram to begin to explore the impact of your past. And it's the best way I know to get folks even aware of their shadow and begin to dissect it a bit. Uh, in fact, if I've got a, a pastor's meeting, a leader's meeting, I don't care if there's a thousand people in a room or, or five, and if I only got a few hours, I'm going to do a genogram with folks because I, I want them to see beneath the surface of what's going on there and that there actually is a shadow and hopefully it motivates uh, them and ourselves to, to move forward. It took me 17 years to figure out how to how to take this tool of a genogram uh, and bring it into discipleship in the church so that we could get beneath the surface in our discipleship and our leadership development and um, help people move forward. So again, there's levels of genogram. If you're, if you're teaching or have been involved in the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, uh, in both part one and two, we expose people to a genogram. And actually in part two, they actually do a full genogram. And I'll talk about that more later in weeks to come at some point. Um, but I want to encourage you to you know, pick that up. And it's actually in, in session in the part two of the uh, discipleship course, which is called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. You actually do a full genogram in session three or a pretty full genogram for a church. And uh, it's a great start. Uh, for you. you may want to look at that. And so you, through that, you begin to identify some of the negative scripts that have been handed down to you that you've absorbed uh, and how they impact you. And uh, and then finally, in this chapter of, uh, you know, Face Your Shadow, I just talk about the end about just you want to find some trustworthy sources for feedback, some people that you can trust, mentors, directors, etc. So this issue of facing your shadow if I could summarize it, it's like, think of an archaeological dig. There are civilizations, layers underneath you. And uh, it's a light, it's, it's, this is, it just, as you go through decades, you realize new layers of your shadow. And uh, there's whole civilizations living down there. And I've been in this now for decades. And I can tell you that what the desert fathers say are true. Desert fathers, what he's, 
you know, wise men and mothers and wise men and women in the second, third, fourth centuries that wrote these sayings of the desert fathers. But one of their sayings, and I really get it now, is, is basically we will face temptations until our last breath. And I get it. It's true that until your dying breath, you will have to face your shadow and, uh, you know, bring it to Jesus. So uh, let me just now expound as if you're sitting at the table with me here, we're just kind of talking about it and uh, this whole shadow thing, because the issue is our being, right? our, our being and uh, as we lead. So, so think about yourself uh, as, you know, as a human being, you know, everyone's got strengths and weaknesses, you know, you're competent in one area, not competent in another. And, and, and to be human, a true human being, we, we don't get defensive we're, we, because we have nothing to defend. We know our strengths, we know our weaknesses. It's really Paul in Romans chapter 7 where he says, you know, I do not understand that what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, and but I do what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good and it's no longer I myself doing it, but the sin living in me. And he talks about this tension uh, within himself, but Paul's quite integrated actually as he moves into Romans 8. You know, Jesus by the crosses and the blood of Jesus broken the power of sin in our lives. And so there's freedom, but we've got this the, the, this shadow tension in us. So we're, we're part of being a human being is we're integrated. The opposite or, or, or the tensions of who we are are integrated. So, for example, we're, I can be strong in some areas, but I'm weak in others. I'm, I'm competent in some areas. I'm incompetent in many. I can be kind. I can also be hurtful. I can be hardworking. Absolutely. I can also be lazy in other areas. I can be smart on certain topics. I'm ignorant on other topics. Uh, I can, I'm, I'm warm. Uh, I can also be cold. Uh, I can be very loving. I can be actually bitter at the same time. I'm a sinner and I'm a saint. And so the, the, these, these, I'm in, to be part of the shadow uh, dynamic is I'm able to integrate uh, the whole of who I am. In other words, if these parts are divided in me, what do I do with the other half? And, uh, you know, I, if I only see myself as strong and competent and kind and hardworking and smart and warm and loving uh, and a saint, uh, but I don't see the other parts of me, uh, I end up becoming judgmental, projecting it outward, etc. But the grace of God and the gospel enables me to be fully human. I can be true to my whole self, sinner and saint. It's the base of our theology that God loves you. God loves me with my inadequacies and with all the stupid things I've done and, and, and you've done. And so that's why we saturate, we saturate ourselves with the gospel and God's positive view of us. Uh, and like David in the Psalms, I, and we integrate all of ourselves. And I think of Psalm 51, where he says, you know, he speaks of no good thing dwelleth in me and or David, right? I mean, Paul writes that. But Psalm 51 is so in touch with his repentance, his sinfulness. And then Psalm 139, he's able to say, I'm, I'm wonderfully, you know, made. And so he's just, he's integrating. He's not split. What's interesting is psychology over the years has picked up this term of splitting. It's all or nothing, right and wrong. And uh, versus we can be human beings in the midst of it all. Uh, and the gospel and the grace of God gives me the uh, freedom and the grace to look at the darker side of myself, the ugly side. I don't use my faith to hide from my humanity. And because if we're split between our, within ourselves, uh, we are not uh, close to the kingdom of God. We'll say it that way. So the question I have for you is, are you aware of some of your, your own wounds, your own uh, brokenness inside? And 
you know, it's often called narcissistic wounds, the, the kind of the, the, the woundedness that comes to us in our early years of life, let's say zero to 15 years, you know, that that are there that if we're not in touch with them they, they we get prevented from actually growing into a very integrated whole sense of self and and uh we end up shame and defensive thoughts and low self-worth etc so we have millions of miles of footage that we've organized into uh kind of core issues in us and we we all have some core uh, places that we go in our shadow that cause us to act out. So some, some of us might be, some of the core ones may be things like abandonment, just feeling abandoned or, uh, you know, so sensitive to criticism. It just takes us down. We just go into a place as if we're still, you know, five years old or, or the feeling of being controlled just so triggers us or, or rejection uh, or things like feeling unheard or feeling invisible or feeling inadequate. Or feeling dumb or incompetent, but there's a dynamic that that, that shadows that, that we all have. We've all got it. It's called sin, and what happens? No matter what situation we get into, we end up playing it out. And uh, everyone has a that kind of. It's often called an introject experience, or we personalize thing, and uh, it, it works itself out. So uh, it's often called introjects, and you know these are early emotions or thoughts that. It becomes a lens through which we see life. And uh, so, for example, in my case, you know, Jerry's never rejected me, but I felt rejected by her many times. Uh, it, you know, why? Because it goes back to some early material in my history, uh, in my genogram. And so I, I, I guess it just takes me somewhere. And she never intended it that way, but I can go there so easily. And, you know, you ask someone, can you straighten the chairs uh, after the meeting is over? And before you know, this person's like reacts and you're like, what happened? They feel criticized. You know, I'm not good enough. You're trying to control my life, uh, you know, and they end up, boom, projecting it out. And um, so the principle is we, we end up going back to what we know with we're familiar with. So someone says to me, oh, Pete, your third, your third, third point in your sermon, it really needed work. Uh, you know, it just needed some work. And I, here's a suggestion to improve it. And the only thing I can hear is, you know, I stink. You know, I am, I'm a bad preacher. And, and so I, I end up choosing that narrative and that I'm no good. And there I go, I'm off to the races. And, and, uh, and so what happens, some people, I've been rejected in my childhood. Uh, and so you come in late to a meeting and uh, I interpret that you coming in late is you're rejecting me. So I have an attitude and I organize and say, you know what, screw you coming late. You know, you shouldn't even work here. Before you know it, I get rejected again by that person. You know, the elders fire me. And sometimes people, I know folks who structure things to get fired. And then we project that out and say, oh, the church just shoots, it's wounded. So I create behaviors to reinforce that wound. And, uh, you know, we end up getting into passive aggressive behavior. We say we'll show up at, you know, five o'clock. We show up at six o'clock. And uh, so, again, it's a way of protecting ourselves. It's very unconscious. It's very much a shadow. Uh, it's a way we survive when we were young. Problem is now we're adults and actually we're in leadership and uh, it's like going home, going home at night, and say, Jerry, you know, I don't, I don't say, hey, Jerry, I really need a hug. I say, you never hug me. And uh, before I know it, she's running away from me. So we can say something to someone, and it lands in their first ten years of their history. Uh, I, I can say, you know, can you get this book off the shelf? And uh, oh no, I know you're, I know you're not that tall, Joe. Let me ask, you know, uh, Sam over here. And before we know it, you know, Joe hears that word too short, and boom. It takes him somewhere. Uh, 
again, we all have these classic one or two things that we go to, again, whether it's rejection or feeling invisible or abandoned. Um, and so we end up reacting uh, versus, you know, responding in a mature way. It's, it's like that law within us. We, we go to, it's like Paul in Romans 7, we're going one way or the other. Uh, so I don't, you know, I think of Jane. I'll use the name Jane. You know, we're going around asking people's opinion, but I forget to ask Jane's opinion. You know, I just overlook her. Touch some, touches something deep in Jane. Uh, she withdraws. She gets really quiet. The more I ask her, hey, is anything going on? Are you okay? The more she's just silent. And uh, she doesn't, she's, she, she just, she's saying to herself, I'm not important. I'm not valued. And, uh, but a mature response for her and her shadow would just speak up and say, you know, when you didn't ask me, you didn't ask me my opinion, and uh, it was hurtful. Uh, that would be very counter-instinctual because there was nothing in her history that would respond in that kind of mature way. But leadership's a pressure cooker. Uh, things are coming from so many directions. People are coming from so many direction. and so what hap- directions. And so what happens is our unprocessed material gets triggered and we're in just unending fluff, uh, unending conflicts and tensions that we're not even sure how to resolve, and it's just not a very safe place. And so part of what we're about in emotionally healthy discipleship and emotionally healthy leadership is helping people face their shadow. Uh, First, starting with us as leaders and then those whom we're leading as well. Because if you can name what's going on inside of you, you can actually tame it. Uh, It's like, you know, Jesus is the legion. What's your name? You know, he says legion. You can tame it. It's like the medical field. Once they can name something, they can actually treat it. Before you can diagnose it, it's quite hard to to treat. Uh, So to be able to say, oh, I just went into those feelings of unimportance. Or, you know, when you left the room... I went into this kind of feeling of abandonment, but the, that awareness of it. So, you know, so, uh, you know, so say, you know, Joe is speaking at a meeting and someone just walks up and leaves the meeting uh, early. And the question is, how do you interpret that leaving the meeting? Uh, you can say to yourself, well, they think I'm stupid or I'm inadequate. Or I can say to them, how rude you are to get up from there. But imagine just saying, uh, hey, thank you so much for making the first half hour of the meeting. You know, thank you for coming. Or just even exploring it later and just not taking it personal. Uh, but you have, you have a choice. We have choices on how we interpret things, and we can personalize it or not. Some people can only interpret things in a negative way that goes back to their, again, their genogram, their family of origin, their histories. And they just hear, you know, your preaching was awful, you know. And the verses, you know, what was it about that sermon that didn't click with you? Um, and so if someone gives you a critique, for example, uh, of something, and but maybe you come from a history where you had a lot of criticism, uh, and someone says, gee, I, w- you know, I, I wish you could have done this differently you know, at work. And, it, and, and rather than being like grateful, this is a great piece of advice, thank you, the chances are we hear it as criticism, and before we know it, we're reactive and offensive and, and closed down. And uh, that's why, again, for some folks, they get degrees, and they just constantly learning, even sometimes PhDs, but still internally in their bodies, they feel stupid um, because they're not aware of their shadow and their reactivity and et cetera. So anger and reactivity, when you, when you see it in yourself, it's a great window into your soul because it's covering up some larger emotions of fear and sadness underneath there. And it gives us clues to what are those personalizations, what are those early scripts inside of us that are uh, ro- running our behavior. Because if you don't understand your story, you'll end up acting it out. So, uh, you know, I, I think in my early years of starting, you know, church planting at New Life Fellowship Church, uh, I, I was working 
you know, 70 hours a week and 80 hours a week. But I was driven by this need to feel like I, I, I'm competent, you know, I can do this. And, and uh, it's almost like unconsciously to, to get that word from my father, I'm proud of you. You know, you're not a loser. And uh, again, our, our, our self-concepts, again, our own awareness of it can just be such a driver. And our history plays out then at the next level and we project it into our current behavior. That's why getting into your history is so critical, not for the sake of morbid introspection, but for the sake of going forward and becoming a mature person who gets you out of Romans 7 into Romans 8. Uh, of, of being able to make choices in those difficult moments. And it's just so interesting, even in preparing this, you know, my thoughts and making some notes on paper, uh, I, I just, I hit something, uh, became aware of something, even in my own relationship with Jerry, uh, I, I got a trigger, and it was just a great moment to do something counter-instinctual, and it was just, it was just fantastic. I was just like, oh my gosh, you know? And uh, so this stuff just plays out over the decades, and, uh, and then, of course, it's not just yourself as a leader. It's we're leading other people. How do we help other people break this, their cycle of defensiveness and unloving behaviors? Again, how do we create communities that are healthy? Well, again, as we're doing our own work of facing our shadow, we're modeling health. And we're understanding that some people are going to use us uh, almost as an object. And they're going to unknowingly project their anxieties and their stuff at us. And so people come join a church family. And I've said it often, we, what we're doing is leadership. We're, we're, we're reparenting people in the new family of Jesus. That's, that's really what we're doing. And so that means people will look, uh, congregants, and again, this goes to any team you're leading, are going to create situations where they're going to feel more comfortable with it's getting abandoned, getting fired, uh, and they're going to blame you for it. It's very complex. That's why knowing yourself is so critical to help you know other people. And so the task is when someone wants to elicit something negative from you, and it will happen, whether it's for you to reject them or for you to put them down or get angry at it at them, you don't want to give in to that. Uh, you want to be aware of your anxieties, your reactions, uh, and hopefully can feel yourself getting like activated and tempted to, to lash out at them. And we want to create a space where people can mature and develop, you know, new strengths and new patterns. And so we're, we're willing to let people, in a sense, work out their stuff with us, but we're going to do it differently in the way we respond to them. Uh, so we've got to manage our own defenses, our own, you know, counter-transference material. Uh, and, and, but, but we have to understand as we're leading people, they are bringing to us their unresolved shadows. And we want... Our, our goal is to be the most mature people in the room. That's why we face our shadows. We, we continually do our work uh, so they can actually grow up here in this place. Again, it takes time and it's slow. And so we want to ask the Holy Spirit to give us insight, hopefully give them insight, and begin to name and label what's going on in their journey. Uh, help them reframe their stories. Help them know their stories. Uh, that's why it's so important that we create uh, a culture where people are reflective, are introspective, they're aware of how their past is impacting their present. Most people are very unaware. And if they come into our churches and we're only superficially dealing with their behaviors, getting them to do things, uh, which is fine, but not in a sense creating an environment to help them let Jesus deep into the icebergs of their lives, uh, 
we're not doing them any long-term service. And so in some ways, it's so healthy that as we live in community, their material and stuff is coming out because it's material to actually see them be transformed in the image of Jesus. Uh, that's really the hope of the gospel. One of the great themes, I would say, of Emotionally Healthy Leadership, Emotionally Discipleship course is the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph, uh, if, if in Genesis 37 to 50, it's an incredible story because he had all his trauma from his family of origin. He's got all these negative scripts coming at him from his brothers and uh, you know, being sold, being abandoned, being rejected, being slandered. I mean, uh, he's got so much raw material, so much to grieve from his past, but yet he's very, he's very, very much walking with God. Uh, and you know, as you know, the story, he ends up second in charge in Egypt. But it's a foundational theology for all that we're doing here because Joseph's able to go back to go forward. He's able to see the invisibility of God in and through and in spite of all the evil that's happened to him. Uh, he's clearly broken by it, but he's able to see the hand of God in it, that God's going to use these uh, the trauma for him to be a blessing to the nations. And it's, it's one of the key theologies for us in uh, both the discipleship course and in all that we talk about here in Emotionally Healthy leader Leadership, and that is that uh, nothing is wasted in the hands of God. He's going to use your past and your brokenness, your thorns in the flesh, like Paul had in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and to be a blessing that his Christ's power might rest on you. It's not something you run from, it's something you run to, so that Jesus can get into that and becomes material to be a gift and a blessing. It's the hope of the gospel that we offer to the world. And so we begin to help people name it and identifying it and by asking questions and creating a safe place for people uh, we listen, we observe, we understand, and we provide an emotionally safe place for people on our teams, especially uh, where it's okay for people to go through a process. You know, and people are coming into our communities and, and they're wondering, is it safe here? That's what biblical community is. It's safe. Uh, and what that means is for it to be safe, someone and some people have got to be able to be, a, a, in a sense, a constant object for folks to project onto for a long period of time. In other words, there's some mature mothers and fathers of the faith in this community so that we can create an environment where people are facing their shadows, but it's safe because they'll do some immature things, and we help them reframe and reinterpret what's happening in a healthy manner. So let me ask you, are you safe? I'm referring to, are, are you reactive or defensive? Uh, because the majority of our, our role as leaders is to create safety, and we do that by asking questions, uh, by dialogue, by openness, you know, what you're thinking right now when I said that to you, where did you go? What does that remind you from perhaps in the past? How could I have said that differently to you? Um, but it's over a long period of time. I can think of one uh, person uh, that was on staff with me for many years, and uh, she had a, uh, I, know, I knew a bit of her history, of her trauma, but she would interpret um uh, Oh, me asking, a not asking her uh, a question, but maybe asking someone who was, you know, in a parallel role uh, of leadership, she would take it very personal uh, as rejection, as being unimportant, uh, as me not caring about her. And, and, and it took, I mean, it was years of repeated, repeated, repeated uh, moments like that where she'd be upset and then I'd be able to have a conversation with her. But she, she grew to the place where, um, I really believe she was able to identify it and, and break it and grow through it versus uh, how easily it could have been that she ended up 
recycling through jobs and leadership. I mean, she gets a role, very gifted person, gets a role, she gets triggered, she reacts, uh, her supervisor reacts against her, she ends up leaving and quitting, goes to another place, does it again, goes to another place, does it again. And maybe over her you know, 30 years of leadership, she goes through six or seven jobs. Uh, it gets reframed as, oh, the Holy Spirit was leading me, when really, in reality, uh, it was just immaturity and she was being triggered and it all got spiritualized and it's really sad because there wasn't enough safety to actually help her grow through this thing, face her shadow and actually break the power of its shadow. And I would say move from Romans 7 to Romans 8. Let me say it again. I mean, the, 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 the crucifixion of Jesus, not just he died for our sins, absolutely, and rose from the dead that here we can have a relationship with a living God. He also broke the power of sin. Sin is a slavery. It's a power that we fall under. And, uh, we are able to break the power of our shadows. Uh, we may always be broken, always be fragile, absolutely and totally dependent. If any, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, if anyone thinks they stand, let them take heed lest they fall. And so I'm not kidding myself by the level of my own shadow and brokenness and frailty. Uh, and so I'm constantly aware, but there, the power of the gospel is I can actually mature and grow through this. I, I need the Holy Spirit. I need the power of the gospel applied to my life. I also need healthy community. Uh, that's why God built us to be living in community, not just alone with him. And let me just close by inviting you to be, that's why being reflective and prayerful is so critical that you can begin to identify what are those core ways that I personalize things uh, you want to have one or two very mature, trusted friends that you can go to along the way. And you want to be growing and maturing your own level of differentiation, your ability to think and feel at the same, same time. How do I not lose myself in panic or fear? Kind of like, a, you know, I'm running out of a building because I smell smoke and in panic. But how can I grow in my differentiation where my emotions don't run wild and my triggers, but I actually can be, you know, thoughtful and calm and anchored in Jesus? So again, I, I just let me invite you along the way to um, you know pick up this this discussion guide on the emotionally healthy leader book uh, that's for free on our website at www.emotionallyhealthy.org/ehleaderguide. That's www.emotionallyhealthy.org/ehleaderguide. It's free. Download it. Let me encourage you. Maybe this summer, or maybe the next few months, just with one other person or a team, begin to just go through it slowly as you begin to wrestle with these things. And the first one here is face your shadow. All right. So thank you very much. It's been just a joy to be with you. Um, next week, I look forward to you know talking to you about leading out of your marriage or singleness as another really large theme. And I'll build on what's written there in the chapter. So thank you so much, everybody. It's been such a joy to be with you again today. Uh, I've rambled a bit, uh, but I hope it's given you some food for thought as you consider facing your shadow and then helping lead your folks into facing their shadow so that you can build a community, a team that's actually healthy uh, and mature that's filled with mothers and fathers of the faith. So God bless you, everybody. Have a great day. Look forward to seeing you next week.